Hello, podcast world. This is Brandon Bickmore, your turbo lover. This is the Minds Gym podcast. We're here to share some amazing stories and assist in changing lives and hopefully change the way you see your world and to create more peace and love on this beautiful planet. I suffered from severe anxiety and depression for several years recently, and I hope by sharing other stories and my story and experiences, it will benefit you. I want to sincerely thank you for your support, and please post comments and likes in the appropriate sections. We rely on your support and feedback to keep the podcast running. When your mind is open, aware, and in a peaceful place, the way you see and treat others shifts, and so do the people you surround yourself with. Your mindset is creating how you see and communicate with others. So how do we get clear? Well, I know how I get clear. I question my negative thoughts. Now let's ask some tricky questions to one of my guests uh, today. I'm here with the amazing Al Vanderbick, a member of the popular band, The Piano Guys. I want to thank Al for showing up and having the courage to sit with me today. I'm so excited to have Al on the show. Al's a good dude. <laughs> He's a handsome fellow. <laughs> we actually went to high school together. We weren't friends at the time, uh, but we are now. We uh, recently uh, met up again we, uh, at a gym in Draper called The Treehouse. Uh, I was kind enough uh, to also recommend I sit with his dad who struggles with severe anxiety and depression and we will discuss uh, this a bit later in the podcast. Um, Al is a Dutch Samoan. That's he has, right. He has six siblings. He's a mu the music producer, sound engineer, and songwriter for the Piano Guys. I've heard his bandmate uh, mention that his ear is priceless. Uh, the Piano Guys blend classical, contemporary, and a bit of rock and roll music, mainly with piano and cello. Yep. They have had over 1.6 billion views on YouTube and over 6.2 million subscribers. Uh, they create music videos by putting pianos where you would never expect to see them. Al also performs and si sings the main vocals in a few of the band's songs. And a real quick thought, how did you guys get permitted to put a helicopter on top of the... <laughs> Great Wall of China. Well, that one we didn't use a helicopter, but we did use a helicopter when we were in southern Utah and we did a mashup of Coldplay's Paradise and we uh -huh. made an African twist on it. And uh, we didn't get permission for that. <laughs> we just, uh, that was in the early days and it was all about just doing it guerrilla style, right? Really? It was better to ask for uh, forgiveness than to ask for permission. But nowadays, you know, like when we went on the Great Wall of China, of course we had to get permission for that. We had to get a crane to lift the piano on top of the wall. And then from there, there's probably about 20 people that just has this little Jimmy rig uh, thing set up. They put it on their shoulders and walked it up 200 flights of stairs on the Great Wall of China, Grand Piano. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. That's cool. <laughs> so uh, tell me a bit about yourself, Al, where you grew up. Um, I think you lived in maybe Samoa or something. I was born. In, we were born in New Zealand. New Zealand. Uh, it was 1979 um, when our family moved here, and uh, lived in Emory County, Utah, out there. You know, Huntington, Utah. 
Price, you know where that is? Of course. Uh, grew up there for till about um, third grade, then moved here to, to Midvale. Went to Hillcrest, of course, that's where we both went. And then I uh, just live here in Sandy now, so pretty much. I just became American citizen uh, a couple years ago, so I've been in oh, the really? U.S. my whole life and had a green card and finally decided to make it permanent. You're official? I'm official, I yes. had no idea. <laughs> Same with all your family members? Nope, I still have some family members that, that it's like, why, why do I want to become American? Really? I'm good, just, you know, with my citizenship there and enjoy the benefits of America, but for me, it's something that I wanted to do and I'm glad that oh. I did. Good for you. So uh, tell me a bit about your childhood, growing up in the Vanderbeek family. Let's see, growing up in the Vanderbeeks. Well, seven kids, we were all um, kind of required to learn musical instruments at a really young age. I had stage fright, and um, I hated performing in front of people. I'd get up and start singing a couple notes and I'd start to cry and I'd have to leave the stage and my dad and my mom would be off to the side and they'd look at me and say, wipe your eyes and go back out there. So I'd have to go back out there when I was, when I, when they felt I was ready. I was, I never felt ready. So I actually, even, you know, I totally look at it different. Of course now older, you know, um, hindsight is twenty twenty, right? It's like, I'm so glad that they, um, even though I, I think it's in a way that I wouldn't do with my kids now, I, I don't know. I kind of felt like they forced it on me, but you know what? It kept me out of a lot of trouble. Um, I appreciate that it opened my mind to different styles of music, especially classical music, because I, I played the violin. I mean, I walked into the store, you know, it was my turn to, to pick an instrument and go to the music store, and I'm, I had my mind set on, a, on the saxophone. That's what I wanted to play. My dad pretty much said, okay, let's go pick out an instrument for you. He didn't say what instrument. So we go into the store and I started heading towards the brass section. He's like, son, where are you going? And I'm like, I'm going to go get my saxophone. He's like, <laughs> but the violins are this way. And I'm like, what is that? <laughs> and he's like, son. And then he grabs me close, right? He uh, puts his arm on my shoulder and says, you know, it will make your dad really proud if you play the violin. And I'm pretty sure it's one of those instruments that will be played in heaven. So I probably got started off on the wrong foot on that instrument because I kind of felt like it was forced on me, but eventually I grew to love it. And to this day, I mean, I just, there's certain classical uh, violinist virtuosos like Itzhak Perlman, who I just listen to this day, and I just love it. I just feel like I'm floating when I listen to his music. So, yeah, but, I mean, we all sang together. Um, music was just our life, you know, just like a family that's athletic. Just music was just, we were always singing together. Four-part harmony, and I even had a group with my couple of, you know, a few of my siblings, a couple of my sisters and my brother where we'd go and perform, but we were um, definitely, that's all we did. Hmm. Backtracking a little bit, what do you think was uh, your fear of being on stage as a young kid? What do you think that was that, oh, wow. that made you get upset? I was scared of messing up. I think, and I think that a lot of that had to do with just the fear of disappointing my parents, you know. So I thought if I disappoint them, then I, I, so I was so scared of disappointing them that I just basically would freeze up when I'd get in front of people. Mm. It's terrible, man. Yeah. Yeah. But now you're smooth as silk, bro. But I still get crazy nervous is the thing. Do I don't really right? get flashbacks. You know, it's not like I'm thinking, oh, oh now I'm that yeah. little kid again. But I, I, um, 
I just uh, always get nervous. Yeah. But I think it's normal for yeah, most it's performers. Part of us. Yeah. yeah. That would also be, as we were discussing before we started the podcast, so when you were six, seven, or eight years old and having that fear of maybe not impressing your parents or, you know, making a mistake, you can't help but not think of that today. Yeah. It oh, automatically yeah. shows up, even if you're not recognizing it. Right. That's where that fear set in. Yeah, I see. I see it in my own kids when I when you know, you know when I'm saying, "Hey, come play for the you know the, our guests," because now I'm doing you know mm -hmm. my parents want to show them off, sure. you know. And then they're all acting shy, and I, they don't have the stage fright. They're actually got way more confidence. Um, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, and I, I'll see it in other kids that I'll see them go up and perform, and you can just hear it in their voice is shaking or their instrument, their arms are all nervous, you know. And I'm just like, I feel for them. I'm just like, man. It takes a lot of bravery to get out there and, and, and to do that Absolutely. when you're young. Some, you. some kids just have it. Yeah. I don't know where they grab it from, mm -hmm. and some kids just don't. And I was yeah. one of those kids that didn't. So you're right. Yeah. It's something to this day that I just I think about and yeah. how much it was just it affected me. Mm -hmm. Like it was debilitating. Yeah. You know. For sure. I can get through it now. Yeah. yeah. Practice makes it easier. Yeah. Lots of practice. <laughs> and because I feel like I'm maybe doing it on my own terms too. You know what I mean? Yeah. Where it's like I kind of. There was a certain point, you know, in high school when I formed a group, you know, with Isaac and Eric and Rob, and mm -hmm. I kind of felt like, you know, I mean, I was doing hip hop music, you know, I wasn't, I put the violin aside, so it was kind of like something I discovered and something that I kind of just felt like was mine. And so I kind of could set the rules for myself. Yeah. You know. I was going to ask you about that a little later, but what was the name of that band? Four on the Floor. Yeah. Yeah. And you opened for Vanilla Ice. Yeah, our very first show. And then we would do all the hot houses there at 49th Street Galleria, like for LL Cool J, Boys to Men, Naughty by Nature, PM Dawn. I mean, it was crazy wow. for like, you know, that three year period I was in high school. Hmm. It, was, uh, it was cool. Kept me out of so much trouble. When yeah. I look back on that, it was a huge blessing in my life to, again, and I looked at my back of my parents and I was just really glad that they, you know, introduced me to music mm. and pushed it on me. Yeah. Yeah, what a gift. Yeah. What a gift. Um, how do you think your childhood affected, like, your life today? In what, as what aspect? Like, how does it affect, let's say, being successful in the music business, how you behave and act maybe on stage, or how you interact with others? Well, I think the biggest thing... I mean, I don't know how much you want me to go into it, but I think the thing that really kept me grounded and centered was just um, the religion that I was raised in. Mm -hmm. I think that was something that I could always go back to, and it was just always a, a constant in my life. Even though I didn't understand it to the capacity that I do right now as an adult and being a father and a husband, mm -hmm. I've, asked, I've often asked myself, I'm like, man, I mean, my entire family, like, we're just still really, really, really close. And apparently that's not, I mean, that's like the exception to the rule. I mean, big families and just families in general, there's this, you know, I'm not saying we're perfect, but a lot of them just don't even like each other. I don't know why that is, but we just are really close and we always accredit it to um, just the things that we were taught as far as our religious beliefs, praying together, studying scriptures together, you know, having family nights together, and just uh, where family, I feel, was just really the big focus. Yeah. Um, 
I don't even know. I think I went off on a something. You're, you're good, bro. This is this is a free for all. Yeah. So I don't even know if I answered your question. Yeah, that's okay. No, but, I just asked you how that yeah. your upbringing affected how you communicate with others or how yeah. you perform on stage or whatever it may yeah, be. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that um, that kind of set the foundation of where I am today. I mean, because that was all experience. Even at the time, it was frightful for me. It's sure. a fear that I eventually got over. So I can look back at it now and, and say it was worth it. Like, right. I would probably go through that again um, to be able to, to have that contrast, you know, to have that conflict or struggle of just like, man, I used to be so scared, but now I can get up in front of people and I actually enjoy it. Yeah. You know? You've done it a few times now. Yeah. Cool. Tell me a bit about your siblings. Give me just a brief, brief, brief synopsis of maybe age, name, what are they doing today? Yeah, see, all, all the boys seem to follow the music path. I got my oldest brother. He's a professor at Weber State, teaches uh, concert piano. He's actually a member of the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. Cool. Too. What's his name? Ralph. Okay. And then my brother, Jan, um, he's got dreadlocks down past his, uh, his buttocks. Yeah. <laughs> been growing them for about eight years and he's got his own reggae band called Natural Roots and so and then all my sisters they're, they're they still have the ability of music um see my oldest Wilhelmina is in California married two kids I think she works for a, a lawyer there she's like a what do they call them not a, like a legal assistant or something like that legal secretary that yeah. what they call them sure yeah and then all my other sisters, but my other three sisters, Arlene, she just lives up the street from me. She's, growing up, she was like the go-to for singing. Like, everyone wanted to hear my sister Arlene sing. She was like the star of the family, right? And still has a beautiful voice to this day. And my other sisters were kind of like the backup singers. Even though they got lead songs now and then, they were kind of the backup. So then my sister, uh, Suzette, um, you know, she's got, well, I, don't know, I, can't, I can't even get into how many kids. But yeah, so she's... Awesome, and then my my youngest sister Pauline, uh, she's got like nine kids, and we're just really close. You know, cool. we're just really close. We, I love being with my family. It's awesome. Anytime we get together, it's just a lot of food, and my mom's salmon, so we're always eating food, and music happens. And now instead of our, uh, you know, now it's like we all have our kids perform to entertain us. Mm. You know, and I, and that reminds me of my childhood because that's what we used to do when we'd get together with our cousins. Like, okay, now it's like a big talent show. And we, <laughs> now you show off your kids and now you show off your kids, you know. In that setting, it was fine. Yeah. Like around family, I didn't have that fear as much. I was still a little nervous, but I, I wasn't like, I wouldn't start to cry, you know. Yeah. Cool. So yeah, that's, that's pretty much with my family. Cool, what about the, tell me a little bit about your wife and your kids. Oh geez, how much time you got, man? Well, just just a little, just yeah, my a brief. Wife, Everybody wants to know about. I know the we've been rock married stars. for 16 years. We met out dancing. Uh, it was like a movie. We walked in, connected eyes. Before you knew it, we were on the dance floor, dancing for 45 minutes, and then we, without saying a word to each other, we went in and just started to kiss. And then I introduced myself, and nice. I had to be a gentleman after that, right? Kissed her first, <laughs> and then I told her my name. That was quick. Six months later, we were engaged and married. We have three kids. Oldest son, Holland, is uh, 15, and then Nevaeh is 11, and Anton is uh, 9. And they're all athletic. They all have a sport, and they're all playing instruments. We got piano, we got guitar, we got violin, mm -hmm. and then soccer, swim, and uh, basketball. And is music a choice for them? 
Yeah, you know what? That was one thing that I felt like was really important. Um, and not to say my parents did it the wrong way, but I wanted my kids to feel like it was more of a choice. So me already being into the music and you know, having a recording studio in our old home and in our home here, I just kind of laid out instruments and I just said, you know, I never told, don't touch that. You know, it was just kind of like, come to the studio anytime, touch things and be curious, ask questions. And I kind of just, it's like, it's kind of like if you were to lay out, you know, few choices of toys for a kid and see which one they'd go for. Like that's kind of how I looked at it. I had to, I just laid out these instruments and I just, they kind of naturally started gravitating towards mm -hmm the ones that they felt were there. So they felt like they picked the instrument, you know? And so now my job now is because now that they're practicing, you know, they, like any kid, they don't want to practice, they'd rather be doing other things. And so my, my goal is just to, to really pay attention as to why they're not liking it. And if I feel like that they, they like I just had to do this with my son, I just felt like he wasn't liking going to lessons. We had lessons for like five years on the piano and I didn't think he was developing as what I thought he should be and his teachers thought he should be. So I said, son, I just straight up asked him and I was prepared for the answer. I said, if I told you right now you could quit piano lessons, would you? Yep. He just straight away, like he didn't even hesitate. And so wow. I could tell that me continuing to do that would just be pushing him away. Hmm. So we came up with a plan together, me and my wife, of how we could still um, let him develop his piano skills at home and, and we'll hold him in a, in a system to hold him accountable to it. And I think it's working out good. It's just like, here, here's a book, you know, a hymn book, teach yourself a song once a week, listen to songs on radio, you hear a song you like, because he's got a really, really good ear, yeah. and learn the song. Cool. So Love it. Um, while we're on ears, tell me why you think uh, you have such a, an ear or a talent for hmm. quality sound or music. Yeah, cause, I don't know. Because that's the rumor on the street. Yeah. Where, where'd you get that gift? I don't even know if I really have a gift for it, but um, I think, again, going back to having seven kids and everyone learning instruments, and we all learned different instruments, right? I mean, you had piano, you had flute, you had clarinet, you had a baritone, and then a trumpet, and then um, singing, and then violin. So I started to pick things up by ear because you would hear so many instruments. So probably piano because my oldest brother, he was just so gifted at piano. Um, you know, he, he basically could have just become a virtuoso uh, pianist, but he wanted to be a teacher instead of a professor. But just having the piano, I remember just sitting down on it and just messing around and then I just kind of developed an ear for it. And then for whatever reason, I would just hear melodies in my head all the time and I'd hear lyrics and and I started experimenting. Remember those boom boxes that had um, like the double cassettes? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we had the double cassette when it had a mic input. And I remember like plugging in the mic and I figured out that I could record myself like a part, like I'd sing a line, swap tapes, push play on what I just sang and it would record what I just sang and then I'd add another part to it. So I was like basically multi-tracking. I was recording, you know, and I was composing, but I didn't know what that meant. Um, but I was always intrigued with just taking these songs in my head and like laying them out. And so that's kind of how I, I got interested in that and how I felt like it developed my ear. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, they say you have a real talent. Uh, well, I pay them really good to say that. Do you pay them well? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you must. <laughs> uh, if you guys haven't heard uh, the piano guys or seen them in concert, they're incredible. I went to the concert last 
fall in yeah, no, St. George, Utah. Blew my world. It was amazing. Absolutely incredible. Thanks, I had no idea that uh, um, the show's just entertaining as all get out, but the music is just incredible. So Thanks, brother. Yeah, a little plug for <clears throat> the piano guys. If you haven't heard them, uh, look, look into them. I was actually listening to one of your songs on the way over here. Yeah? Yeah, I have it on my iTunes, and I got it on random, and your song pops nice. up about every fifth song. Um, what, what's a day in the life of a rock star band member look like for you? Like, what is your, what is your day look like? I know I saw you at the gym the other day and I'm like, well, where are you going? You're like, well, I got to go to the studio. I'm like, well, I thought you just like play music and travel around the world. Like you actually work in the day. Yeah. yeah. Well, for so. one, I don't think we're rock star at all. I think we kind of get a taste of what a rock star is without having to be exposed to the rock star world, which I love. You know, and a man, our manager always jokes around because he's like, you know, you're the biggest group that nobody's heard of. Now, that kind of sounds like a slam, but what it really means is that we're big enough to go anywhere in the world and sell out a show. You know, and they're between three to 5,000 people. You know, we're not doing mm. stadiums or anything like that. Yeah. Well, in our hometown here in Utah, yeah. we do one once, once every year, the Christmas yeah. show. But, you know, and but then we can come home and nobody comes up to me. I mean, I don't, very occasionally in the last eight years, I've had people come up to me. I can count them on, my, on one hand, you know. Yeah. When we're together, they'll notice us all because we're the four guys, the four piano guys. Yeah. Um, and there's a couple, you know, probably John Schmidt because he had a solo career 20 years before piano guys. So he, he's pretty well known. Um, but as far as, you know, our, uh, I think that's what I love about this because I can, I, I can do what I feel like I was put on this earth to do with music, but then I can have a life, Yeah. you know, and I can provide for my family and I can be creative and do all those things. But you know, we're on tour, we're about to leave on tour in a couple of weeks and that's just crazy. It's almost like a different life. You go to this, you know, we're all over Europe and then you come home and then, you know, we'll take a few days off just to kind of get back into family life and then we'll... Because we're a, we were kind of born on social media, you know, we started on YouTube when it was kind of in, in its infancy, and no one was mashing up pop music with classical music, and we started to do it, and it took off, and so there's that aspect of it too. So when we're not touring, and when we're home, you know, our manager says, "You guys, you're off. Oh, it's just so great. You got a lot of time off until the next tour." We're like, David, we gotta. You know, work on an album. We got to shoot videos. We got to work our social media. It's a legit business, right? Yeah. Um, so we're kind of unique in that way. Where I think a lot of artists, they have their management team that kind of takes care of all, everything for them, and they just show up to tour, and then they come home and they really can be off, unless they got to work on an album. But when we come home, you know, we're just. And I'm not. I don't. Do I sound like I'm complaining? I'm not no. complaining. No. Not it's just all. that we're always. We're always busy, so yeah. It's a I mean, job, You'll bro. see me in the gym, and that's my time. That's my out time, you know what I yeah. mean? My, that hour at the gym, I hit the gym, you know, I have yeah. my headphones in and get done and then come home and go to work. So who, who, like, who manages, like, your social media site? And well, we primarily, we do. We'll, we'll, do. We have days that we take where we'll take turns posting. Um, but we recently hired a guy um, that we're working through. So we'll provide him with all the content and then he'll like put a caption to it or something, you know. And we've been through several people because um, 
we just want to make sure that they fit our personalities and aren't too serious, but then aren't too dorky. Well, we're pretty dorky, so it's hard to be too dorky. But we don't want to come off sounding like, like we would never say certain things like, we're going to pick one lucky fan, you know, to hang out. You know, we don't do things like that. Like to us, it's just yeah. like we really feel like we're not even that, we're not even a big deal. We really aren't. And we keep each other humble. I think that's the, the greatest thing about the group is that we're older, we success, and I'm putting my fingers up because success doesn't mean recognition by any means. But, right. you know, for us, we feel um, it happened in our life when it needed to happen. Because when it happens in people's life when they're young, I mean, just go look. Go look in the, in the newspaper and, and go watch the news, you know, oh. TMZ. Yeah. It just, it just, it can ruin them. Sure. Um, so I think we had families already. We were kind of had our feet firmly in in our faith and our beliefs, and so it came at the right time for us. And so that's one thing that always we come back to yeah. when we're feeling like, dang, this is we're so tired, and it's hard to go on tour and be away from our families. We have young kids, but we're unified together as a group, and we're unified with our spouses, and so. Yeah. It makes it worth it. And I'd say you are a big deal. I mean, you mm -hmm. got... I don't know if I've seen another band on YouTube that has over a billion views. Is there such a thing? Well, yeah, there's other groups. I mean, not in our category, probably. Not. I've um, never seen... And not one that... Views. I mean, it's just... There's a lot of variables. But, yep, there's some up there. I mean, but for... If you were to say, like, four guys that just kind of weren't really friends and just kind of came together eight years ago and didn't have a business plan and just mm -hmm. everyone had a skill set, you know, we didn't have to go outside and spend any money. We just kind of came together and started doing something we felt was right. Yeah, I mean, if you look at it that way, it was miraculous, you know. I, we couldn't tell anyone. Like, we couldn't write down a paper to people. People come to us, tell us how you did it. We want to yeah. know the secret. Yeah. Like, we couldn't do that. It was just a happening it was a happening. We think it was uh, meant to be. We yeah. believe in divine intervention, and we believe in miracles, and it was miraculous. Mm -hmm. I think uh, life is a happening. Mm -hmm. I know it uh, maybe could share a little bit, but I know originally the uh, one of the band members had a piano store. Yep. Right? And he had a two-year marketing plan with videos and putting pianos in exotic places so he could sell more sell pianos, pianos and boost his sales. And uh, I think I read online he didn't sell any more pianos. Yeah, well, the thing was is because once we, we got together, we were having so much fun just making these videos that he, he would actually literally close the doors to his piano stores. And it didn't go out of business. We kind of, kind of made that more of a, a kind of a joke in the show. I mean, we actually had, he had to sell the business just because yeah. it was, he was never there. Like he wasn't really interested anymore. He was so yeah. focused on making these videos and just felt like it was yeah. his calling. You yeah. know what I mean? So. And that's kind of what brought you four together was the piano yeah. store, right? It was the piano store. Yep. So no mistakes there. Nope. We don't believe in happenstance. Yeah. It's awesome. Incredible story. <laughs> it's really neat. Um, so you kind of said you love your job, but, uh, Share me what you love with me or with the listeners about what you love about your job and maybe your least favorite thing about your job. I think what I love about my job the most is 
um, the creative side to it, um, that I can create music, and even more so that I can create music that affects other people. Uh, you know, when we put up a video, you get instant feedback. You know, our world is about getting instant feedback. And social media allows us that avenue. And so when you put up a video and share songs, you just, just the comments that people say, you know, how it's, it just made, you know, we're not changing the world, but we're changing people's days, you know, where it's just like, I just woke up and this morning was just crappy and I stubbed my toe and the dog bit me, <laughs> you know, just things like that. But even more serious things like where people like have honestly been in a, a depression and like wanted to take their lives and how our music has just came on out of the blue at the right time or a friend sent them one of our videos and how it just, they just felt like they, they had a higher purpose, that they just needed to be here. Wow. Like those kind of stories, that is why we can leave our families, you know, for two to three weeks at a time and um, because it's not about us at that point. It's about a gift that we believe God gave us to share with the world to help them in some, some, sometimes small ways and sometimes in pretty mind-blowing ways that you yeah. can't take. There's no way you could sit here, oh, we're the reason why. It's just like you feel like very humbled when you hear feedback from people that are going through, you know, cancer and like how that, they would just listen to our music while they were having chemo and like how that just gave them hope. You know, it's pretty incredible. Yeah. So that's what I love the most. That's cool. Is that having that opportunity. And yeah, and music, I don't know what it is about music, but it can move you. Oh, yeah. Like drastically move you in your mindset yeah. and yeah. your mood. So what's your least favorite thing about being in the Piano Guys band? Um, well, I wouldn't say, I think in the beginning, um, it was, there was some personality conflicts but mm -hmm. I think we're kind of we've we've learned how to to work through those. Sure. Um, so I don't think it's that. I think it's probably that I put a lot of energy. And you know, when you're creative about in anything that you do, it doesn't matter if you're you know you're a builder, right? I mean, a lot of creativity has to go in that, and then also physical work. I mean, it taps you out sure. mentally and physically. Right, so in the same way, even though what I'm doing isn't really physical, other than like the traveling part. I mean, anyone who travels knows living out a suitcase for three weeks in a hotel and this and that, that's, can, can really wear on you. Um, but, but then also meeting people and always having to be on. Yeah. So you're basically on for three weeks to where you are just, and it's not a fake, sometimes you gotta force it a little bit if you're not feeling, mm -hmm. and then eventually you get into it, you know. Yeah. But you're just constantly on, talking to people, uh, listening, um, entertaining, you know, that mode. And when I come home, I, I'm kind of spent, like mentally and physically, to where I feel, and it affects me in a way that I feel that my family kind of gets, sees the tired, overwhelmed, stressed dad for a couple few days, sure. you know, when I get home. And so I really am hard on myself about that. Mm -hmm. Because it's just like, why am I, how can I just these complete strangers? And I'm just like so kind and loving and, and, and outgoing. And then I come home and I'm just like, 
I just want to go lay in bed for a few days and I don't want to go outside. But I don't know. I think a little bit that's normal. You know, I think it's normal. So I don't try to be too hard on myself. And it's not like I'm stuck in it for like weeks on ends. But yeah, it's kind of a pattern. Mm-hmm. And it's getting better each time. But I think that's the hardest thing. It's just um, feeling like I'm short and giving my family the short end of the stick. You know, I'm being a little bit more impatient than I should be. And just assume that they're not, that they'll understand because daddy's been gone. And, you know. Oh. So I, I, feel, I, I feel guilty a little bit that they see that, but then I just got to give myself um, a little bit of a, a pass sometimes, you know what I mean? Because I try to snap out of it pretty quickly. Yeah. But that's hard. Yeah. And, I, and it's hard on my wife, you know? She knows when I get home, it's like, mm-hmm. I'll just give you your space, you know? And I just you know you're probably not going to want to talk that much, you know, because she's asked me, like, how do you answer the question? You walk through the door, how was tour? Like, I don't even want to talk about tour. Yeah. It's weird, yeah. you know? And I'm just like, oh. I just want to give a hug, and I want to go jump in my bed, and I want to eat some of her food. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I can't imagine, the, like, the highs and then the lows, right? And there's, you know, you're out on tour for two or three weeks, and you're, you know, like you said, you yeah. got to be on. You're an entertainer. Right. you got to be showing yeah. the world, yeah. like, a good show. Yeah. If you don't put on a good show, or, you know, are they going to come back? Right. I mean, you have people come to our sound check, so you're entertaining people for sound check. Then you do a Q&A with them. Then you do the show. Then mm-hmm. after the show, you do a meet and greet with some more people. Mm-hmm. And so by the time you get on the bus, it's about 1 a.m., and then you just repeat, you know, you tr- drive for four to six hours, try to get some sleep on this bus, depending on who's driving it, you know. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm probably going to sleep the best on a bus because when I go on my go with my dad on truck trips, so I'm kind of used to sleeping on something like that. Yeah. But it's just repeat, you know, you just, and we do a show every single day. I mean, we're not wow. taking breaks in between, unless it's a travel day, mm-hmm. but you just go, because we just want to go out and hit it hard so we can get back home soon. We're not yeah. going out there to do any sightseeing or tourism. It's like, mm-hmm. we go to Europe, you know, we're hitting Germany, London, Holland, and Poland, and Hungary. We go there in... in Two and a half weeks, and we're just home. And you wow. hit all those places. Sounds like a lot of work, bro. Yeah. So you're right, though. It's just there's like a high and a low yeah. that I, in my personality. Yeah. yeah. I'm pretty much. I'm, I'm. You know. I'm usually like a kind of a. You know, more energetic guy. That's just in my nature. Sure. But there are times, and it's usually when I get home from yeah. tour, where I'm just. I kind of have to fake it a little bit for a few days. Yeah. You know. Yeah. You got to get home and recover, rebuild. Yeah. Repair. I wonder if you considered um, just a thought. I like to share my thoughts when they show up. Yeah. But if you go on tour, what if you don't have to be on? Like, what if you just go there and you be Al, <laughs> but not the on Al? Yeah. Well, I think there's a little side of me that is the on Al. I mean, that is part of who I am. But I get what you're saying. Like, just not putting unnecessary pressure to be any more than I can give. Is that yeah, what you're trying to say? Exactly, yeah. Because yeah. you try to go and be somebody that may not be the authentic owl. Yeah. And then it's draining, it's exhausting, and it's tiresome to sometimes try to be the human being that you're not. Yeah. You know, I meet with people often and, you know, even, for instance, mom, dad, when you think you're a mom or a dad, and then you put what that means below it, 
I'm a dad. I got to be a financial provider. I got to teach my kids how to work. I got to make sure they're doing yard work, learning their chores. I got to make sure you know they're earning money to buy a car. I got to make sure they're getting good grades. I gotta, 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 gotta. Yeah. And you put that list of, I gotta be this guy on tour. That's probably why you're so mentally drained when you get home, is you're, yeah, you're, you're being uh, Al, that's the entertainer. Yeah. That's um, it's a tough job. Yeah. You know, but I wonder if you just took it down a notch. Yeah, probably. And yeah, I... wonder how you'd come across to the crowd, and to yourself, and to others, and then maybe you'd. <laughs> Come home a, yeah. a little bit more calmer. I think I feed off the energy Less of the other guys did. too. You yeah. Know? And then, so yeah. Steve, he's a he's the cellist, and he is high, high energy. He's, he's on. Yeah. <laughs> but he kind of struggles with a lot of the same things. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And so it's we can we, we we talk a lot and try to see how we can yeah. offer each other some advice of how to deal yeah. with it. I think that's kind of saved it a lot to where we just haven't had a full breakdown. You know. Yeah. Is because we can, we all can relate to each sure. other. But definitely, I mean, when, when him, me and him are in a room together, and we have a captive audience. It could be one person. I mean, me and him, we just go off. But it's fun. I, I, yeah. I guess I just, I, what? Yeah, I would really like to know what really is the big drain. Because yeah. by default, I'm an outgoing person. Sure. You know. Yeah. But maybe I am just. Overdoing it, yeah. and it's just a thought. Yeah, I just like I say, when thoughts show up, I like to share yeah. them. And I don't know anything. I I'd just love like to know. sharing thoughts. Like, I would love to to really yeah. understand it because yeah. I just don't want to. I mean, like I said, it's getting better, but I could do so much yeah. better. Sure. And it's it's and and to your point, Al, traveling and flying around the world is exhausting. Yeah. I mean, I go on vacation and come home, and I'm tired for right. a day. You got to have a vacation after yeah. the vacation. You know, when you get home, you know. Right. Flying 10, 12, 16, 18, 20 hours on an airplane, that's, that's hard on your body and your mind and your soul. So, I mean, that's part of it too, but, but yeah, just something to consider. Um, so you, f you shared the least favorite thing about your job. So what if you weren't a music um, producer, singer, songwriter, artist, what would your dream job be? Uh, well, if I wasn't the actual person on the stage, I would want to be uh, probably in education, um, music education. I mean, that's something I still want to be. I mean, you know, I don't know how long piano guys will last, but sure. one of my dreams is to um, to be able to open up some type of music production school um, so that I can help pass down what I felt like I've learned to, to other kids. I just think that's, I think I learned a lot. I didn't go to school formally. I mean, finished high school and I didn't go to college for music or music production schools. They didn't really have music production schools like they have now. You know, it was like go to college and be a music major and, you know, take all these other classes that I could care less about. I hated school. Um, so for me, it was about being around people that were really good at what they did and just learning from them, asking a lot of questions. So I feel like I would love to just give other kids that opportunity to be able to just like, 
you come to a place to where you can ask anything you want and just learn things. You know, I'm not into really the technicalities of music. I'm just about like my ear and how it makes you feel. And you really can't teach that like in, like in college. I don't think they teach that. They teach the theory behind things, which I'm not saying is bad, but you know, they focus on the theory of music. They focus on, you know, if you're a music major, the technicalities and you know, you're in a room for six to eight hours a day practicing, where I feel like it's better just to get together with a bunch of friends and jam, like just play, have fun. You can learn so much that way. And, just, and then you learn to feel instead of just think. <laughs> you know, you, you feel more than you think. And so I think that was just a gift that I had. I think that's a gift, that, honestly, a gift that God gave me. Because I, seriously, I mean, if you were to lay me next to other musicians, and I'm not trying to compare myself, but I mean, there's so much more. Even, I can say this about anyone in the piano guys. There are musicians out there that just make us look like we're childish. Really? Yeah. I mean, in our opinion. Really? You know, as far as like where they are and how much time they put into their craft and how technically perfect they are, you know. Mm -hmm. Like Steve could mention a cellist, like Yo-Yo Ma, and, and John could mention a pianist that just, he's like, oh, I'm nothing compared. But the thing wow. is, is that you take four guys that are okay at something and you put them together and we're really good. Yeah. You know, and the skills that we have combined makes it each of us individually even better at what we do. Yeah. They've lifted me to be a better music producer and a songwriter and yeah. a performer. Like they have made me better. And I think that's the key. Yeah. I, I think it's magic. Yeah. But then so giving the kids a, a way to collaborate hmm. with other people. In well, a, in a so being educated is a long answer. To be, yeah. I would like to be a teacher. A that's teacher. what I would like yeah. to be. I love it. Yeah. Teach people how to hear music. Yeah, I'm gonna. Um, uh, that's something I'm gonna do. Yeah. Then we can do a well, blog. Then you'll be too big yeah. by then. You yeah, we'll like see. In Cancun, where do you go all the time? Virgin <laughs> Islands. <laughs> Doing a blog there on a sailboat. Yeah. You're gonna change the name too. Sailing with Brandon. I'm gonna call it Al's boat. <laughs> hey, if you name a boat after me, that'll be cool. Al's boat. Better name it something better than that. <laughs> the Turbo Lover. <laughs> the Vanderboat. Yeah. There we go. Hey. uh... Um, have you heard of the gifted, is it the gifted music school in Salt Lake? Mm -mm. Do you know about them? No. I swear, because I, my father-in-law is on the, father-in-law is on the board of directors, and it's some of the most talented musicians as kids, like, in the western United States. There's really? people flying in here bringing their kids here um, to go to the school. And my father-in-law's on the board, and he's a massive uh, donator. Wow. Um, Sounds cool. And he hits me up every year for a donation, and so I go to most of their performances. But th they're off the charts. I could have sworn that one of your band members uh, Maybe. is on the... Board or donates or could be something because I've seen his name. I don't know if it's piano piano guys or one of your band members' oh. names. You'll have to ask him about it. But they're incredible. I mean, they're young kids, anywhere from eight, ten, twelve to sixteen or eighteen, and a lot of them go on to Julie. Wow, Julie Art. Yeah, Julie Art. Yeah, I mean they're amazing huh. musicians.
So you have to come yeah, and watch. Maybe I'll talk to them tomorrow. In fact, they had a, either a cellist or one of the most famous musicians uh, the last performance I went to three or four months ago, and they had some uh, gal that sings, and they all played and together, and and the guy's one of the you know one of the most well-known musicians in yeah. in his craft, but he was he said I've never seen a group of kids play music like these kids, and mm -hmm. I've been doing this for thirty or forty school years. Of music, he said, is that what it's called? Gifted School of Music, yeah. I think. Yeah, it's in downtown yeah. Salt Lake. You have to look into I it. Will. Pretty amazing. Um, got off track there a little bit. Uh, what What's your definition of success, Al? Uh, well, for sure, I wouldn't even say it has anything to do with the piano guys. Um, I measure my success by what goes on inside the walls of my home. And uh, the relationship that I feel like I have with my wife and how much better I want it to be and how much better I need to be for her and how much my kids trust me and how we communicate to each other. Um, honestly, to me, that is where I feel I get actually confidence in the piano guys is the confidence that I have that my family's intact, you know, yeah. that we have unity, that we have trust, that we um, have issues, but we talk about them, you yeah. know. One thing with me and my wife is this, we, we probably, a lot of our conversations end with, now these type of things you can't just talk about anywhere. Like if you go to your friend's house and start saying some of the things that we've been saying during dinner, you know, because we're just very open, very blunt. You know, we talk about things like sex and religion and homosexuality and all those types of things that are going on and drugs. We just talk about it and we call them what they are. Sure. You know, where I felt like it was kind of taboo, you know, oh, yeah. growing up. I had to learn about sex from my friends and yeah. pornography and all that yeah. stuff. You just... You'd go to your friend's house, and he all of a sudden pulled something out. And you're like, oh, my God, what's that? You know? <laughs> my dad didn't talk to me about those types yeah. of things. School of hard knocks, dude. Yeah. We had to figure it out our yeah. own way. Yeah, so to me, I measure my success off of, off of that. Cool. And I hope people, like if I wanted to be remembered for something, it wouldn't want to be for music. It would yeah. want to be for someone who had a, a strong faith in God, mm -hmm. and that lived it, lived a, you know, like, would say Al was like Christ-like, you know, mm -hmm. like he was kind, he was loving, he wasn't judgmental, he was a good person, like that's what I want to be known for. Cool. What is a, what is a good dad to you look like? <laughs> good dad. I don't know, I'll let you know when I see one. <laughs> Since you're on the... Well, this morning I looked in the mirror and I was like... Oh my gosh, it happened again. And my son came running in the room. He's like, what? I got better looking. <laughs> so I guess that's what a good, good looking dad looked like. You can use that one on your kids. Though, yeah, that's a good one. It's a guy that looks good when he looks in the mirror. Yo, I, well, okay, let's see. This is something I kind of, you know, there was a certain point. Like, 
I'm very affectionate with my kids. And I remember my son, who's now 15, going to be 16 soon, and maybe he was like 9 or 10, and we were walking through a park, and I was holding his hand. And he let go of my hand. And I could tell he was trying to shake my hand loose, but I kind of kept holding it. And then finally he just goes, Dad, Dad. I'm like, what? And he's like, it's embarrassing. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, it's embarrassing. There's some kids over there. And there was like a group of kids his age, right? Yeah. And it kind of hit me. It's like, oh my gosh. I don't want this to happen. Like, I don't want this moment where my son is like embarrassed by his dad. Yeah. So I kind of like at that point was like, okay, I need to prove, and I'm still to this day, like I need to prove to him that I'm cool. Like yeah. to this, like everything I do, like serious piano guys, trying to be funny and yeah. like I'm trying to prove to him and my other kids that like I'm cool. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm sure it goes deeper than just that. You know what I mean? But yeah. like to me, just having my kids feel like they're safe around me. Like they can just come to me and just say, Dad, like this is just this has happened and this is how I feel and like just being able to feel like they can just tell me anything in the world without me judging them, without being fearful. Yeah. I don't want them to be afraid of me. And uh, so to me, I think that's getting closer to being a, a better dad that I want to be. Good I dad, mean, sure. That's the kind of dad I want to be. Yeah, I like you know? it. That's and that they honestly, like they want to be with me. Like I can't imagine like getting older and them not wanting to come around. Yeah. That would kill me. And I bet that happens to a lot of people. Sure. Because they just weren't in their kids' lives and then of course mm -hmm. their kids get older and why do they want to go visit mom and dad? They weren't in our lives and so mm. that's a fear of mine. And so uh, I'm just trying to do everything I can to make sure that they know that they're my priority and that when I'm home, I'm home. Like I'm not thinking about music. I'm not thinking about business. I just need to be home. I got a question for you. Is uh, you said you want to make sure your kids are let them know that they are your priority. Have you ever considered making sure that they know that you are your priority? That trick question. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that is a trick question. Um, I've never thought about that. Yeah. To be honest with you, because in in my experience showing my children um, how to take really good care of me is being a good father. Yeah. Because that's how kids learn mostly more from action and not so much from words. Yeah. So what I've learned the last four or five years going through this spiritual journey is I've focused more on taking care of me and in hopes that when they get to be uh, adults, that they become really good at taking care of themselves yeah. and making sure that they know that the person that needs to be their priority is themselves. Because you're not going to be here forever, and neither is your wife, and neither are their siblings and grandma and grandpa. So I want to make sure that, that my kids are really good at taking care of themselves. Yeah. But we're not really taught that in this world. Yeah. We're taught that take care of the kids first and then take care of you second. Yeah. So it's just something to consider. You know, when you're flying in the airplane, what's, what's the gal up front before you take off? Whose mask do you put on first, yours or the kids? 
Yeah, well, you're supposed to put on yours. Put your mask on first and then put on the kids. Yeah. yeah. I believe that's how you parent well. Yeah. You put your mask on first, make sure you're good, you're solid, yeah. and show your kids what a solid, confident, yeah. loving, you know, I agree. happy yep. human looks like. So here yeah. again, just another thought. You no, know, I think that I've never really looked at it that way, but I think that, you know, Rachel and I have, like we've recognized that, you know, so there, you know, I mean, there's this temporal things like, you know, we take care of ourselves as far as the way that we eat. I mean, we're very yeah. healthy. Yeah. Have, have a healthy lifestyle, you know, we work out and we go out on dates, you know, without the kids, you know, and um, honestly, this is, I think, this is like, like harder for the women that stay home with kids. I mean, I'll just speak for my wife just real quick and you should probably interview her, but <laughs> she definitely <laughs> sacrifices her, her desires and wants for mm -hmm. the entire family, even for me. Mm -hmm. And there's a little bit of guilt that I feel for that too, you know? And where I try to do things like suggest things like, you know, why don't you go hang out with your sisters and go get your nails done or go hang out with the neighbor ladies, go grab lunch. She's like, well, what are you gonna do? I'm like, well, I'll just be home with the kids, you know, and just go and do your thing. Well, why would I wanna go out with anyone else? I'd rather just be hanging out with the family. So she really loves being with the family, but then she'll do anything for them, even if it just means giving up anything that she's ever, but that she's always wanted to be a mom. Like she's yeah. oldest of eight kids. You know, she always had a job since she, she was like 10. Mm. And so for her to not have to work outside of the home to her, it's like a dream. Yeah. It's like everything she's always wanted. Yeah. That's why she's so good at it. But then I see certain things, but yeah. we could go off of that. You can talk to her later about that. Yeah, that could be a whole nother uh, yeah. podcast. And I, I, I guess I won't just say for women, I just say for yeah. people, anyone who is in a position like where they're a, the, the caretaker for anyone, mm -hmm. you know, if it's children yeah. or parents sure. or, or uh, siblings yeah. or whatever, yeah. where they just, you know, we all know those people. That yeah. All they do is just they don't ever take care of themselves, like even yeah. physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and it's all about, but you're right, and then how good of, can they take care of these people yeah. when they're, they, they're, they can't even take good care of themselves? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so then I'd question too, is, is your wife sacrificing her life healthy for your kids? Yeah, I'll have to ask her. I mean, I, I think she is, that there's definitely, but then I know she gains great satisfaction and joy from our kids. I mean, oh, absolutely. anything our kids achieve, like you go to any sporting thing or when like kids leave on missions, you know, they say, yeah, dad, you're cool. Thank you, man. And then they start bawling mm -hmm. as they have this long list of what their mom did. Yeah. Because yeah. that's what they do. Yeah. And that's what they're... That's what moms they, do. I can't, you know, I can't... I'm not going to, like, tell her she, you know, that's wrong. Sure. And I, don't, I honestly don't, she's, I don't think she's at the point to where she's, like, you know, needs to take, like, some kind of medication, you know, to get through the day being a mom. I mean, yeah. But I can see there are, there, yeah. there, I can see where it's like, honey, no, you don't need to do that for them. Yeah. You know, you need to just let them do that themselves. Yeah. Yeah. It's easy for me to say, right? I it's think, easy yeah. For me to say. And my wife, I would say, um, parents similar, similarly to mm -hmm. your wife's, it, it seems to be like the going trend. 
in uh, the last, I'd say, 15 or 20 oh, years. They know everything about our kids' lives. Everything. They know all their friends. And they're in all their business. Mm -hmm. They know what's going on, what's here, what's there. Yep. You know, tracking their cell phones and where are they and yeah, what I are do you doing. Huh? I do all the tracking. You do all the tracking. She's not good on technology. <laughs> yeah. But you just wonder, uh, you know, is, is, is sacrificing too much healthy for your children? Because whatever you do, f the example you're showing your kids is what you're teaching your kids. So you yeah. know, is the goal to teach humans to sacrifice for others or is it better to take care of yourself first? Yeah. And then when you're really taking good care of yourself, um, man, you can really be there with another human being when you're healthy within yourself. Yeah. You know? Hopefully there's a good balance between the two. Yeah, you know absolutely. Because I, mean? I certainly wouldn't want my kids to see a phase that I had to go through of just being so, like, selfish, you know? Yeah. And it's like, whoa, what's going on with dad? Yeah. All he's doing is going to ride his motorcycle <laughs> and hanging out with yeah. his buddies. <laughs> I already did that yeah. phase, you know what I yeah. mean? So. And that's... That's probably what I get. My kids would probably <laughs> say that I'm selfish, but I'd call it self-care. Yeah. It's a better term, yeah. you know, because if you're really happy, that spreads, and your kids want you to be happy, right? Yeah, for sure. And I take my kids on a lot of vacations, and I vacation a lot without my children because they're in school. Yeah. And my wife would rather stay home with the kids than vacation, and it works. Um, but I think self-care is really important. Yeah. I think it's really beneficial, and it teaches your kids how to take care of themselves. Then when they have obstacles, they deal with less anxiety and depression as they right. age, because they're like, oh man, I know how to handle this. I don't need mom uh, to you know, get me out of this one. Um, let's talk a little bit about your parents. Uh, uh, how, how's their relationship, and maybe how did your parents influence your life? You kind of talked about they made sure all their kids were musically talented and gifted. Yep. What else did they do for you and your siblings growing up? Well, like I said, you know, the most important was just the spiritual aspect. Um, that was kind of the glue that kept us all together in our dysfunctionality. Yeah. Um, but as far as their relationship, you know, my dad was a truck driver. Um, and he was gone Monday morning through Friday, my entire life that I can remember. He'd be home Saturday, Sunday, then take off again Monday. So my mom, you know, once we got older, she would work too. Um, so when they retired, and they were all about the kids. I don't even remember my parents ever going out on a date. We do family vacations once every year or so, um, but I don't remember them ever. You know, like we were talking about having time to themselves or getting to know each other as a husband and wife. So when when they retired, I think they were kind of shocked. Um, like, who is this person? Because they were all about the kids and all about my dad was just working and my mom was working and so. It was very uh, difficult when we saw it. It was very difficult for my parents to get along, to communicate. They didn't, they still don't to this day. <laughs> it's still something that they're going through, right? It was just, uh, right. my mom's Polynesian. They're more carefree and just kind of, you know, joking around a lot. And my dad's Dutch and they're very stubborn and more serious. And 
So you already have some things going against them, which could be benefits too, but I think that because of you know, them not really figuring each other out while, we're, while they were raising us kids because they just sacrificed everything for us, they didn't know how once they were just alone. They didn't know how. Um, then, you know, my dad um, fell into depression, something that he suffered for several years, probably eight, nine years now. And, you know, we always tend to have um, sympathy for my dad, but I, I, I really feel it for my mom um, because, you know, this is their golden years. These are years that they should be out enjoying life and traveling. I mean, they got an RV, you know, several years ago to go do it and live out of it. And my dad just wants to sit in a room and hmm. not do anything. And so that's got to be so tough on my mom, you know. And I don't think I give her enough credit. I don't, I don't think I tell her I'm sorry enough or thank you enough because it's just, you know, my dad, he's the one we focus on because he's the one that has yeah. the mental... Uh, you know, disorder or whatever you want to call this, the depression. So, yeah, yeah so that's kind of where they're at. Hmm. Um, what about um, with that relationship? I know uh, when I went and I was actually kind enough to let me chat with his dad four or five months ago, maybe. Yeah, yeah was that long ago? And had a probably 90-minute conversation and... Uh, it seemed to me it was real beneficial by the uh, uh, way he, um, I guess, changed. You have these conversations with humans and they're believing these stories and you sit with them for 90 minutes and you get them to look at their world in a different light and you can kind of see a, I don't know, just a different energy yeah. come about him. But I did notice the RV in the driveway and then after sitting there for a while and you told me it was... Uh, hadn't left his house really in eight or nine years. Yeah. Maybe. Nope, not really. I mean, not for long periods of time. Yeah, it's amazing. They tried a few years ago in the RV and went down to southern Utah and lived out of there for, you know, a little while and just mm. made things worse. And then. Yeah, I a couple thoughts too. <clears throat> I wonder for one why, um, I wonder what, what uh, caused your dad, what fear, what transpired in his life that would cause him to be afraid to leave the house? I don't know. Any thoughts on that? Any crazy experiences? I know you said he was a truck driver. Yeah, he was a truck driver. He has some crazy things happen. I mean, I know he got mugged once that he told us about. I mean, he always carried a gun with him, so I don't know if that was... It happened more often, and he never told us, but he was at a truck stop, and basically, you know, someone opened the door to his truck and got really physical and violent with him, and I think my dad broke his finger or something like that, but just some kind of really physical altercation where he had to just defend himself. Wow. Um, but he was always kind of known to be the, you know, he was always very proud of his strength. He was a strong guy, you know. Knew a little martial arts, and so anytime he could show it off, you know, his strength had on us kids, you know, like, yeah, let's have an arm wrestle or whatever, you know what I mean? Oh. You know, grab you, and he was strong. Um, so I don't know if that really affected him. Um, I don't know. Maybe it just comes with, uh, 
depression, right? What was that term that we... We talked about wondering if he was... Yeah, an agoraphobe, meaning he's... You're pretty much afraid of the world. You're afraid of humans, afraid of conversation, yeah. afraid to leave the house. You're afraid of big open spaces. Yeah. You're afraid of what might happen. And so... Because he know. wasn't like that growing up. He yeah. was kind of the life of the party. Yeah. Like so he really what, was. So what I'm saying, what took place, because something has to take place in your life for you to become, let's call it normal, and then all of a sudden you got severe anxiety and depression. You're believing a story that something might happen when you walk out your front door. Yeah. And so there's been some fear instilled in his humanness somewhere where if we could take him back and tap into that, you can literally get rid of that fear. Hmm. It's no different than taking you back to the stage when you were six or eight and you were crying, saying, you know, worried, nervous, fearful that you might screw up. I can take you back there and ask you some questions, <clears throat> and it gets rid of that fear. It Literally, it's gone. So I wonder if we, you know... I'd love to sit with your dad again. We had an amazing yeah. conversation, but to go back again and just say, hey, you know what? You know, what scared you in the last 10, 15, 20, 30 years out truck driving? What happened? What yeah. some experiences showed up that, you know, scared the heck out of you? Let's sit in one of those moments and actually walk through it for 30 or 40 minutes and then see what shows up. Because what we do is we take the past and we put it on the present and it creates what the emotions that we're feeling now. So he has anxiety and depression, but he's putting a past experience on the now. That's the only way to have anxiety and depression. So if you're depressed, you're focusing on the past. If you're experiencing anxiety, you're worried about the future. But you're taking a past event and putting it on the now, and that creates anxiety in the future and anxiety so in the just, now. So basically he just doesn't want to whatever happened to repeat itself? Yes, he's exactly. That. He's afraid that might happen again if he walks out the front yeah. door, whatever that is. And he might have 10 events. He might have 100 events that happened as a kid because they start when you're five or six and they go until you learn how to question them and figure them all out. You know, No different than you're being scared on the stage story. Yeah. You know, Somehow you learn that behavior. You weren't just scared. You watched a movie or you saw other kids be scared, and then that's how you learned how to be scared on stage. Yeah. It's not, it, 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 you know what I mean? It's, it's a learned behavior, everything is. So your dad learned his anxiety and he learned how to be depressed from watching his past or being fearful about his future. But he's, he's, he's seen that behavior somewhere in his life, well, and, and it's his, usually from your mom and or his, your dad. And his mom. Yeah. His mom yeah. um, ended up in a, a home in Holland and basically got to the point where she didn't communicate with anyone. He was the only one, because he's the only one who left Holland, and when he came to see her, she would actually say his name and talk to him. You know, not like these loving conversations, but she'd at least talk to him. But the rest of the family, she wouldn't even really say much, yeah. nothing at all. And she was just basically lived for a long time, but kind of in a state wasn't a vegetable, but almost, like where she just would never leave, would never want to go anywhere, and she would just sit and stare out the window. Yeah, kind of a catatonic state. So that's what kind of what, but you would think that if someone saw that behavior, like they would want to avoid it. So th this is what I've learned, Al, over the last four or five years, and I research and I study a lot, and I go to a lot of seminars, and especially that Byron Katie, which I'm a huge fan of. Um, 
and I could relate this back to your kids watching you and your kids watching your wife. We're our only reference point for our children. So they either do what we do or they do the opposite. Because basically we are their teacher. So your dad watched your mother and he only knows to do the same or do different. So you mean he watched his mother? He watched his mother, right. yeah. What did I say? Your mother. Your mother, yeah. He watched his mother go into that depressive catatonic yeah. state, and now he's doing the exact same thing, and he doesn't even know it. But if I sat with him and had a conversation and walked through the whole thing, he would be probably go, oh, my goodness, you're kidding me, because he's literally turning into his mother. I just had this conversation with my yeah. wife the last couple weeks. You either, you're so similar to your parents, like they say the apple doesn't far, fall far from the tree, because you either do what they do or you don't. Either do the opposite. But now as I look back at my dad and I look at my mom, as I look at me today, I'm almost exactly half my father and half my mother the way I behave today. It's crazy. Hmm. And if you were to say that... Yeah, that, I think uh, I'm the same way. Yeah. I look at my mom and dad. Yeah, because so, so notice when you get off of your tours... Who do you act like? I act like my dad. Because hmm. you know what? When he'd come home from his truck trips. Oh, wow. That's crazy. See that? He would come off his truck trips and he was, um, I was scared when he'd come home because I knew he was going to be in a bad mood. And I, re I just remember Saturday mornings because he'd usually come home Friday night. And I remember Saturday mornings, I would just wait for him to say my name because I knew, and it was just like serious, it would make my heart just rate go up because I knew either he was upset that I didn't do something that I was supposed to do that week or it was just, yeah, I am my dad when he comes home. How crazy is that? Yeah. And you had no idea until we just had this conversation. <laughs> I never, ever once put those two together. And imagine how I've talked to you a bit about your dad Yeah. and how rough it is to watch and see <clears throat> And that everybody kind of says, well, it's my dad, it's my dad, you know, my mom's fine or whatever, yeah. which I think it takes two. You know what I mean? They could easily resolve that relationship probably over a two-hour discussion. I think it'd be so simple. Okay, well, we need to work on then why so I'm following my dad's pattern. Yeah, because it's all you know, <laughs> okay? So what happens is you watch but the movie. I didn't movie. like that at all. I know, but you, can, you can't not do what your parents do. Okay, your parents are alcoholic, either you're an alcoholic or you're not, but you pick up on their behaviors because they are literally the movie that you watch as you age. And, and you mimic the movie you see because they are your reference point on how to survive well, I need a break. and I need live to, on this planet. I need to stop the cameras rolling and I need to re-edit this movie because I don't want right. my kids to be picking up on this. It's probably too late. Yeah. Exactly. So <laughs> you're like, yeah, exactly, exactly. And it's I had, and I had the same thought. I mean, three or four years ago, bro, I could barely get out of bed in the morning to go to work, and now I'm realizing my kids watched me do that for two years, and I'm crossing my fingers that they don't pick up that behavior. But it's almost impossible not to, because literally they are your god. Basically, that's where they you learn from is your parents. They're, they're the only thing that, that, you know, parents, church has a lot of influence on how you behave, your neighbors, your friends you run around with growing yeah, up. Yeah. 
But isn't it interesting to look and see, like to say, hey, Al, you, yeah. you kind of, when you come home, you kind of act like your dad. You'd be like, what? I'm nothing like my dad. No. And so that's how you learn that behavior. You're gone on your trip, you come home, and you know when you get home after you've been gone working your tail off that you go into a two or three day quiet depression, as my brother called it in episode one. He'd go hide in his room for two or three days. See, but my dad never had that. Yeah. I could not, so so maybe that's what really added to, you know, where he's at mentally right now because he never had, I mean, when I'm home, I mean, I'm still working, right, going to the studio, recording videos, Mm -hmm. but... I'm home for at least a month, month and a half. Yeah. He was home for two days, and it was all yard work and what I need yeah. to take care of at, with the church. And, and then, you know, I'm sure him and my mom are working out relationship things. And yeah. then he was off again Monday. Like, he yeah. told me he, he, couldn't, he looked forward. Like, every Monday, 5.30, he couldn't wait to go back to work because he loved his job so much. That's what he loved. Really? So yeah. He loved driving trucks. He loved driving trucks. Good he was disappointed that I didn't follow him, his footsteps. Really? Because I said to myself, I, I, I'm like, I, would want, I want to be home for my family. Yeah. Huh. You know? Maybe he was really good at being alone for those years. Well, yeah. Really, really good and confident. Yeah. You know? Oh, he was on the truck. I mean, I remember going. He was a different yeah. guy. Yeah. I'd go on truck trips. I mean, he's talking to, on a CB to people and making jokes, turning the music up loud and pretending like he's playing the guitar and, you know, friendly to everyone he interacted with. And, and then kind of like me on tour. Yeah. <laughs> and then come home and it's just like all about business. Yeah. You know? Pretty crazy to think yeah. about, isn't it? Yeah. And then I can see the same things that I got from my mom, you know, where yeah. she's just like, you know, if there's a, a problem... I'm better at like really trying to get to the, you know, communicate and talk about what the problem is. But most of the time, I'm just like, it's all good. We don't even, let's just put a, you know, band-aid kind of metaphorically speaking. And, mm-hmm. you know, we don't really need to get down deep into the feelings, you know. Yeah. And she's just more carefree that way. That's her Polynesian blood. It's just more carefree and like, oh, it's, oh, it's okay. You know, everyone yeah. goes through those things and you'll be fine. Just... Eat some food, yep. play, sing some songs, yep. and tell some jokes. You're good. Food's a good way to hide your pain, too. Yeah. When yeah. people go to food, that's a huge addiction for. Yeah, that's very interesting. Years. That point yeah. right there. That was a that was a good realization there. Yeah. What about your mom? How's she doing? And and obviously their relationship is strained. Does she have any yeah. interest in? Improving the relationship, or has she had enough? Yeah, there's times where she's had enough. There's been several times she's called me and just says, "You need to come pick me up, or my dad, or your dad, because hmm. I can't do this anymore." Yeah, you know, she she does some things for herself a lot. You know, where she'll go off, she's you know, with her sisters or friends. She has lots of friends. My mom is very good at making friends. I mean, she'll make a friend with a random person in the airport and before you know it, they're at her house staying the night. You know what I mean? Um, she's very good at making friends, but it bothers my dad. It bothers my dad. Like if she has friends over, he just can't deal with it. Um, so then it makes my mom feel bad. So then of course it causes arguments. Yeah. Um, 
It's got to be really hard on my mom. I mean, I bet if you were, I mean, I've never really, really had a deep conversation with her about that. She probably wouldn't want to talk about that kind of stuff. You never know, she might. Well, I did. I told her about you, you know, how, and, and she actually said, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll be open to do it. But then my dad was like, oh, I don't want to meet with Brandon again. I just can't do it, son. It's just too, too hard. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard to look at yourself. Yeah. You know what I, I mean? bet my mom would be willing to, though. I yeah. think she's got a very tough outer shell, but inside there's some, mm. definitely some things that I don't know about in her upbringing. I mean, where she was basically, her parents gave her up and, you know, she moved to New Zealand or Samoa, and her grandparents brought, raised her. Her her mom and dad didn't raise her. Really? So I know those are, there's things there, yeah, right? Some I mean, pain there. Definitely some pain there of of abandonment and just sure. not um, yeah. feeling like you can be open with your emotions and letting people in. Like feeling guarded. I thought my mom was just always about having fun. Yeah. You know. Sure. I'd love to always have fun too, but I just know every once in a while I gotta yeah. check myself, you know. She just keeps herself so busy, you know. Yeah. She'll, she's not out with friends. She's sewing. She's doing projects around the house. I mean, how many times she's rearranged her furniture and mm. went to yard sales and buys things and yeah. so yeah. Sometimes keeping busy is an addiction too. Yeah, she so definitely keeps to, busy. We don't have to uh, listen to the mind or hear the mind. You know, because the, the yeah. ego will run some stories that'll scare the heck out of you. But I'd love to sit with her. I'd love to sit with your dad two or three more times. It would, <clears> yeah, I, we need to. It would, it would. I gave him your. I gave him the book, yeah. and so I just need to follow up with him. And f actually, I did. I went there last week, and I asked him if he started to read it. And he says, "Yeah, I started to read it." And he said, "It's hard to understand." Yeah. You remember sitting with him though? He always yeah. was like, "I don't understand. I don't. Know. Yeah. What's your question? I don't." You repeated yeah. things a lot. Yeah. So I just I don't know if. He just is not willing to understand, or he just... Uh, well, it's hard to understand, too. Yeah. I mean, some of those questions are difficult. You've never heard them in your whole life, and especially when you've been stuck in a cave for eight or nine years, you know? Your, yeah. your thinking is so narrow-minded, it's, it's hard to open up the, you know, the, the pathway to, to truth, Yeah. you know? So, but anyways, I, I think they could have an amazing relationship if they were both willing to work on each other individually for a month or two, yeah. and then once they worked on each other individually, I think they would have an amazing relationship. Yeah. Well, my dad has expressed that to so. me many times, where he just wish that he could just talk to my mom and have conversations yeah. and yeah. hold her hand and joke with her. And, you know, and if you bring that up yeah. to my mom, she's like, well, we're great. Everything's good. Yeah. You know, yeah. I don't think they ever really had a deep heart-to-heart -heart conversation mm -hmm. about anything that really, really mattered. They just don't know how. Yeah, and most humans don't. Yeah, so they're at a point where they're older. You know, my dad's 83, my mom's 76, and it's almost like they've convinced themselves that they're stuck in their ways. And like, I'm almost convinced they're stuck in their ways. You yeah. can't teach an old dog new tricks, you know? Yeah. Let's just make the most out of the life they have together before one of them dies. And it's a terrible way to th think things, but sure. it's almost like we're just doing the bare minimum just to 
where they could, I agree, they could have this life that is just really amazing. And they, and they love each other. And, I mean, they love each other, but you know what I mean, the kind sure. of love to where it's just like yeah. you wake up to it in the morning, you look yeah. forward to it. They don't have that to look yeah. forward to in the morning. Well, and then you want to travel. and They're still living for stuff. us, and now yeah. they're grandkids, you know, yeah. what, 38 grandkids. Yeah. And literally, they... They could have an amazing relationship, but do either one of them want to sit down and buckle down and do the yeah. work to have that relationship? I mean, we took them to a marriage therapist. Yeah. I, I headed it up, and I said, okay, it's not about dad's, um, his, uh, you know, depression. I go, we need to focus on their relationship yeah. with each other and with, you know, themselves. And so I thought, he, he wasn't just specifically marriage therapist. He was kind of, you know, just all around family therapist, therapist right yeah. and um there were some awkward moments you know where some feelings came out that everyone in the room was like you know got a little tense but I felt like it was good mm-hmm. and I wanted him to keep going because it was really some good stuff and my you know it was it was basically like you know what's important to you Carol how do you what's your like you know your love language what can True. John do for you well take me out okay well John what's important to you how do you fill up food like if she makes me dinner okay well, Carol, if you make John dinner, he'll take you out. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of how it went. It was like my mom would make a dinner and my dad would take her out. And it was mm-hmm. like, oh, cool, they're, they're going out on dates, you know? Yeah. But then, you know, it's, if you don't constantly work mm-hmm. on it, then you're just going to fall back into the, your old habits, and that's what happened. Yeah. And uh, so mm-hmm. I, I agree. They need, and maybe people are just too prideful. Like I would, you know, I think, I'm like, I don't need a therapist. I mean, it's, anytime you hear a therapist, yeah. like the crazy thing is, and I'm trying to change the subject, but like we have a group therapist that we, we met with um, last week and we're meeting with him again tomorrow um, for our business. And I, apparently it's a normal thing when you're in a, a business that is very high, what's the word? It's not, um, it's, it's high something, not high energy, but it's... Um, High functioning? High functioning, yes. Where people need to um, understand why they're feeling certain emotions and sure. why they're not dealing with people so well or dealing with mm-hmm. the stress or feeling overwhelmed. And so we're like, we, you know, we had a little bit of that going on in the group, and we have. And so we're just like, you know, first time someone brought up therapist, she's like, it's like a marriage, we need to just get a therapist. We're like, it's stupid, we don't need a therapist, we just need to talk and work it out and learn how to communicate. But, you know, meeting with this guy just one time for a couple hours, we're all just like, wow, communication is not what we thought it was. Yeah. Like, communication isn't about talking, it's about listening and understanding, you know, and so, um, yeah, my parents need that. I totally agree that it helps. It's it's helping us in our our uh, business relationship, and because where else do you learn those things? Yeah, we never learn that's, those things. That's that's just what I was gonna say. Like, why isn't that taught in elementary, middle yeah. school, high school, church? They don't teach you how to communicate. Yeah, why isn't there therapy one hundred and one and yeah, why is elementary there, school? Yeah, like exercise your mind one hundred and one. Yeah. Who was ever taught how to manage their mind? It's the most important thing in the world, and we weren't even taught. We just guess at it, huh? I guess. Everything's <laughs> guess. And then that's why I think we get so frustrated. Yeah. And we fall into these disorders is because 
we are guessing and we, in our mind, we just are failing. Yes. And so you get hard on yourself because you feel like, man, I failed at it. And so now I'm going to be really hard on myself. And then it just, it's a cycle, yeah. right? The cycle is we believe our thoughts. Yeah. And when you believe your thoughts, that's when the pain and the suffering sets in. But learning how to question your thoughts is huge in helping you learn how to communicate with other humans, too. Hey, listeners. I uh, hope you enjoyed part one of Al Vanderbeek's uh, podcast. Pretty amazing guy. And uh, you'll want to stay tuned for uh, part two. It's a little longer. And uh, we go over some amazing stories of Al and his family members and uh, a little bit more about the piano guys. So thanks for listening today. Uh, here's one exercise uh, you guys can do to uh, help uh, maybe calm your day. Um, try this week to get up 30 minutes earlier than normal so you don't have to rush through your morning routine. See if that changes your week for the better. And the final thought, I want to thank you for taking time out of your busy day to listen to the podcast today, to listen to Al and myself, and uh, please like and leave a comment. If you could, please, it would mean the world to me. Um, if you have any questions or would like a one-on-one -on -one life-changing uh, discussion, you can contact me on Instagram at the Minds Gym Podcast or email me at themindsgym at gmail.com. If you have any guests you'd like me to interview, please send me your referral. Peace and love to you all, and now go exercise your lovely mind. Uh, part two of Al Vanderbeek's podcast you'll be able to hear next week. Please tune in. Thank you again. Have a beautiful day.